My name is Emma. I own the Daisy Chain and run music and movement programs for aged care and disability facilities. I'm going to share how to find fun, purpose and connection in that stage of life that others think is boring, dull and pointless. If you would like to know how we shine a light on the fun, vibrant, full lifestyles of the aged care residents and disability clients, stay with me as I share the stories of human connection. Thank you for joining me. This is Emma from the Daisy Chain podcast. And today I'm joined by Matt Bertrand from Like Family. Hey, Matt. Hey, Emma. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. How's your day so far? It's going well. Um, We were just discussing that before this call, I was uh, singing Sesame Street songs. And uh, luckily, I was on mute. Otherwise, <laughs> I, was, I was recording you, <laughs> ready to play your singing. Uh, so today we're going to chat about the power of human connection, um, how you came about setting up and establishing Like Family, uh, and also a bit of your story and your background about the inspiration behind that. So um, thank you again for joining us. Like Family, can you explain what Like Family is to us? Oh, thanks, Emma. Yeah, so Like Family is a it's a, it's an online and offline community, but we're using technology to connect people who might live in similar um, neighborhoods or suburbs, and they have uh, interests or hobbies in common. Maybe it's language or cultures in common, and they are looking for someone to help them with uh, with with helping achieve their goals towards independence or autonomy. We try to stay away from using the word care. It's more about giving a helping hand to people who need um, just a little bit of a, a, a bit of a helping hand. Yeah, I think that's the best way to, to describe it. Um, so what we do is we'll match uh, locals in the community who we've um, trained and onboarded, and we'll match them with people who are looking for either social part, community participation, um, helping them achieve their goals. Uh, it could be anything from public transport training to, you know, attending um, an activity that they really enjoy doing, like dancing uh, or, or music. Um, so it's just really finding people who are compatible um, and they can participate in activities together. And we find that, you know, since we've been doing this, is it's just it puts in a different lens on um the care industry and rather than you know just matching someone with any support worker they get to be matched with someone they actually get along with yeah yeah that's amazing i think it's you know those those common values and goals makes it a little bit different um and and exciting too because everyone's empowered and doing something that makes them feel good right yeah absolutely it's you know the people who are looking for for you know support um should that that service is so important and it shouldn't be treated like a commodity it should be treated like uh like like it's it's very very important for people to have meaningful relationships with a it's just um there's there's so much emotional joy that comes from it when you have you know, with someone who um you know motivates you and 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 provides you that support that positivity in your life um yeah I think it's uh, one. I think one example I can give is uh, there was a young man that I was supporting who was uh, playing soccer with Special Olympics, and I love sports. That's my sort of on my profile. It's all about sports. <laughs> so, so his his mother 
uh, reached out to me asking if I was available on Saturdays. And it was Saturdays for two hours playing soccer with, with her son at the Special Olympics um, every Saturday at the Special Olympics grounds. It was in Castle Hill. And, um, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And he enjoyed it as well. And it makes a difference when you're actually participating in the activity with the person rather than sitting on the sidelines. And that's been the biggest problem. The the, the parents there couldn't believe it. They, they rarely see a, you know, a quote unquote support worker um, on, on the field playing with, uh, with their, their loved ones. So yeah. yeah, it makes a huge difference. And that's just one example, but it's applicable to any other activities that the person is interested in. Yeah. That's amazing. So we're going to talk about the power of human connection. Obviously, the last couple of years, and I don't, you know, we've talked about COVID a lot. Everyone has, and I don't want to, you know, focus on that in particular. But I think, obviously, that's um, highlighted the fact of, you know, how much we need to connect as humans and people. Um, and, you know, having that kind of taken away from us to a certain extent has has made it all the more obvious. Um, how how important do you think human connection is and what, what actually is human connection? Oh, uh, my, my, my perception on the human connection has changed uh, a lot since what happened to my, to my, my parents and the seeing what they went through and what human connection actually enabled them to do. And, and and since we've started like family back in 2016, I've just seen so many examples of the power of it. And that's why we want to, I, I guess, like, I don't want to sound like, you know, educating as if like people aren't aware of it. But like, yeah, I think there's a sense of education that it is extremely important. Um, medic, you know, medication and, and, and prescriptions don't don't solve everything. There is uh, in human genetics there is in our dna that need for social interactions with other humans it's it's embedded in us so i just go back to to why we started like family my at 55 years old my mom's brain essentially reset to to having to learn everything all over again um i i got a call from my auntie back in canada while i was here in australia and my mom had a, uh, quite a vicious brain virus called encephalitis and uh, was in a coma. And, you know, we weren't sure what would happen when she would wake up. So I flew to Canada by her bedside table and uh, bedside. Yeah. By her bedside. And when she woke up from her coma three weeks later, she had lost all of her abilities to speak and eat and talk. Uh, so yes, um, speak, eat and walk. Sorry. Um, and so I became the primary care for, for, for both my parents. Cause at the time my dad was 20 years older than her and he was battling with lung cancer. Wow. And um, so we moved my parents here to Australia and the, the thing with my mom's condition. So she was in a wheelchair, couldn't talk, couldn't eat, had to inject food in her. Um, I was coordinating the services and I remember the, the neural, the, you know, very, uh, very well, the conversations with the neurologist who said to me, the best thing you can do with your mom is send her back home where she's surrounded by friends and family and the things that she's familiar with. And I thought that that was crazy because I wanted her to be surrounded by 
medical professionals in a hospital. So just to be really transparent, she was in a psychiatric ward for the first two months. And so it's really shocking if you, if that's your mom or, you know, your, your, your loved one, family member, uh, to see someone who is the rock of your family and the person everyone looks up to, to then needing, it can be being a completely different person, really. Um, it, it's quite shocking. And so to hear that from the neurologist that she needs to leave is like, what are you trying to do to us? Um, so, yeah, look, with a lot of, um, I guess, pushback, I, I ended up folding to the neurologist and doing what he said, uh, back, brought her back into her home and we provide, we did the, the, all the care services, coordinated the care services at home. Um, it was middle of winter back in Canada. This is before we moved in here to Australia. And every week as her brain, so her brain slowly recovered, but it was like going through all the stages of development that a child goes through. And unfortunately, though, it was a lot more intense because some of these stages of development were schizophrenia. Um, yeah, quite intense. Uh, she would try, she would think she was being trapped at home. So she was trying to run away. She thought the hospital was home. And so I couldn't put locks on the doors because that's a fire hazard. Yeah. So I constantly had to watch for her. Um, no concept of, you know, even just like having clothes. So running away was kind of the main thing she was going through at one point for about three, four weeks. Uh, so that was extremely stressful. Um, and you don't want to, you know, tie her up with a, you know, a chain or she's your mom at the end of yeah. the day. So, yeah. Um, but what we did during that time uh, that she went through all these different phases is we kept inviting friends and family um, and we encouraged it a lot. So I was reaching out to friends of hers and saying, Hey, you know, basically every day I wanted the different person to come. And, and then in terms of in the house, the activities we did were, I had a Wii. I don't know if you remember it in the Nintendo. Wii. Um, <laughs> so I had that installed. I have some photos as well of that, of her playing Wii. That was really good for her. And she really loved, I tried a bunch of, back then we still, well, in her house, she still had CDs. So I uh, went through the CDs that she had and I tried a bunch of them, some, some types of music she didn't, you know, uh, react to, but the ones, the two that she reacted to the most were Elvis Presley and, uh, and Johnny Cash. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I really random, but she, 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 those were, that was her type of music. She loved those artists. But when I put those two uh, artists on, she would, uh, she would just start dancing. And, and that was really great because she would put it, she would have a smile on her face. So it made her happy. So obviously we played that every day. So I know every Johnny Cash and Elvis song. <laughs> Probably haven't listened to them since, have you? <laughs> 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 and like it was just like yeah and like just going back uh, to all of these little things that we did for her to, to help her recover and um and oh my god like it's 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 a miracle when i tell people that today um you know she's back living in her own apartment independently and the only care she receives is social care which is you know what life family does and um 
she received social care because she can do everything for, uh, herself now. She can do, she can shower herself. She can make her own dinners and lunches. And she, she even now volunteers. Um, she can't work, but she volunteers at uh, Vinny's. Wow. And, um, she's got an amazing life. She's extremely happy. Every time I talk to her, she's always positive. Yeah. Uh, it's just like an amazing recovery. And honestly, I, 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 that's why I go back to what the neurologist said, uh, you know, that human connection piece. And the reason why it worked is, um, the brain is just this crazy, uh, part that we don't fully understand yet. Um, even, you know, through all the science that exists, but it, it finds pathways to reconnect and to connect the dots and to build itself. And there's areas of the brain that are damaged from the, the virus that she acquired. So what the brain will do is just find ways around it. And yeah, there'll be little moments where she can't. So what she struggled the most with right now, which is a sign that that part of the brain was affected is names. So instead of saying, you know, she'll, she'll never be able to remember your name, even if you see her regularly. So, so that's, that's a real kind of problem for her, but you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's just like, you know, so she'll call me my dad's name or, or her brother, my uncle's name, like yeah. instead of my name, or yeah. she'll call my son, Jack, she'll call him my name. So <laughs> yeah, she'll call a table, a chair. So that, yeah. honestly, like, to, to, to go where she was, to that's the biggest problem. Like, wow, okay, it's, you know, it, we can live with that. It's not, yeah. as long as she's happy. And, uh, and oh, yeah, human connection is what enabled that. It just, because the thing is with um, having, if she had stayed in a psychiatric ward, I imagine that she would have been just exposed to a routine, too much of a routine um, and not enough uh, stimulus around yeah. And the fact that we had the outdoors and just being outdoors in nature and going for a lot of bushwalks and stuff like that helped. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, the results talk for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and interesting, you said about the, you know, the brain and the pathways firing, because I know through, um, you know, working with dementia and Alzheimer's and music, um, they have done studies on uh, people with dementia where parts of the brain have stopped working. And when they've done the MRIs and they've played certain kinds of music, those pathways have actually refired. So, um, and interesting, the most uh, memorable kinds of music are what we listen to between the ages of 18 and 25. So I don't know if that fits for your mum and, and Elvis and Johnny Cash or whether... Well, she's born in 1958, so yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. probably probably around right. So yeah. I always yeah. say that. I, I always think, oh, my goodness, what was I listening to when I was like 18, 19? And it was probably. Oh, 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 my God. That's yeah. interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking about what I was listening to. It's like, you know, to your early 2000s. Oh, yeah, I know. Oh, no. <laughs> that's what's going gonna to refire our brains when... If not when, if um if we're in that stage that you know we need to connect with music, it's going to be for me maybe um you know Britney, you <laughs> kids on the block. That's hilarious. So yeah, like, it's pretty scary. Yeah, I, that's a good icebreaker you could do in a group is ask people like, okay, yeah. so if you're 98 years old, you have dementia, yeah. and your your kids or your family is playing you a song from the early 2000s. What would that? Yeah. Yeah. I think mine would be uh mine would be that. Like probably Nelly, 
Do you remember? Yeah. 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 That was embarrassing, 98 years old. <laughs> <laughs> but I say, like, I say it with the work I do, especially going into aged care, those songs that, um, you know, I've had, I've had people that are nonverbal and then I'll play a song and they'll suddenly start singing. Um, wow. And it's obviously those songs from that era of their life. So, yeah, they were 18 to 25. So think very carefully about what you let your kids listen to. <laughs> Well, Adam, when they're 18 and 20, you don't really... No, you don't get to say. There might be a bit of Bon Jovi in there for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be singing Living on a Prayer when I'm in, a, in an aged care <laughs> home. That's great. Yeah. Um, I remember when we spoke before, um, you were saying that when it came to, um, you know, people going out with your mum and, and things like going to the movies or whatever, the, the kind of people, like she didn't want people to necessarily, as you said before, care for her just to do the things that she loved doing yeah uh that gave me goosebumps when i asked her i said uh yeah well so just to put some context for the listeners when you're a primary carer and for for one or you know in my case two people in our house it's very isolating um it got very dark even at some points because of you know what I, I i shared but yeah you're quite isolated in a house and um you want your loved ones to go out and have fun and enjoy themselves you want their you want them to be happy ultimately and i was still working full-time at one point in a sh- when we moved in here in australia i was working three jobs so it was really important that i maintain those for financial purposes um but and because my parents weren't eligible yet for government funding because they were on these visas. Yeah. But um, yeah, if I was at work, I wanted them to go out. And so I suggested early on, you know, mom, dad, why don't you go out with um, their, your support worker? And uh, the support worker that I had quoted her name, you know, I won't say it here, but like I had said like, Hey, why don't you go out with blah, blah. And my mom said, well, you know, I don't really feel comfortable going out with this, the person that showers me. And that gave me goosebumps because I didn't realize that I, it's a bit of an ignorance on my end, not thinking that there's a difference. And uh, she kind of just said to me, like, yeah, I don't feel comfortable. It's not that the same relationship I have. I love my support workers who are providing me essential services like showering, but I, you know, if I'm going to go out and have fun, I want to find someone I actually like, you know, I would meet out in the community. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was kind of a light bulb moment. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, and then uh, that's when, you know, I don't want to sound too, like, uh, too cheesy, but the, you know, I, the, in our friend's name is destiny and I always joke around Destiny came to the rescue but that's essentially what happened. Uh, we had a friend uh, called Destiny who's 25 years old and, you know, never thought about working in disability or aged care. She was just, uh, she's just, she was actually a school teacher and, um, but incredibly reliable, passionate. And my parents saw her as a friend and she would take my parents out to the movies. My parents had no problem with it. Um, she would take them out to the beach and even she helped my dad do exercise, which is a miracle because uh, at 75, 70, you know, he was, he, when he was here, he was 76. Um, 
he, he refused to do any exercises. He was uh, the, the 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 his physio provide, uh, gave him, um, and but there's one person who could do it, and it was Destiny. So we were kind of it opened our eyes that why are my parents so responsive to our friend Destiny, but they're less responsive to people who have qualifications? What is what is it? Like what's causing that? And I think one of the big things is that, yeah, like number one, the relationship is different. Um, one is providing one service and the other is providing a different service. And I think we need to sort of realize that people with disabilities, um, they, they, they have hopes and dreams and ambitions and just matching someone because you know, that's what they say they need. And, you know, like the traditional model where a provider goes, hey, here's a support worker that's available. Um, and not considering other factors like that emotional connection you have with someone. Um, that's that's where I realized that actually there's a gap there. There's, you know, massive um, opportunity for people like Destiny who are looking for flexible, rewarding work and people like my parents who are looking for someone to just have fun with and live the, their best lives. That's really what we're, we're trying to yeah. do. Um, yeah. And I think like you were saying about the qualifications and when people come from a, a care background, I think often they're very task focused and it's like, you know, got to have a shower. You've got to have your medication if applicable. You've got to have your breakfast at a certain time. And it's all very, it's all very task oriented where as humans, we actually don't necessarily crave that all the time. We need those things to happen, but we need to be flexible and to to see what the the human the per, the real person needs at that moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right, and that's actually feedback. Our early uh, when we started in 2016, we had we created you know it was we were called Home Care Heroes before being called Like Family, and we weren't sure really if what we were creating was going to um, resonate with people. And as soon as we we launched. We had some early customers and we'd ask them, you know, why use our services? What did you find? What was the difference? And most, well, yeah, a lot of feedback came back saying, well, what I love about your, your workers is that when they come to our house, we tell them, you know, what is important, what our loved one likes and what they're interested in and what works and what doesn't work. Um, and then we allow their love they allow their loved ones to build a connection so you know our workers will get there and they may not have straight away they may not know straight away what to do they won't they don't have a clipboard and they won't go okay today emma we're doing x y and z and this is the program and this is what we need to do to you know it's more like hey emma my name is matt um tell me about yourself let's get to know each other and learn what you love and what you don't love and um Let's see how I can help you. So it's more of a, yeah, I think it's more of a collaborative approach, but I also want to make it really, uh, I think it's really important that, you know, we're not, I think people with the qualifications for care are extremely important. Um, so we're not saying that, you know, people with qualifications, um, you know, not, not putting that kind of role down in any way, because we need more people like that. Um, I think what we're trying to do is just, make uh change the industry innovate the industry so that there is additional um empowerment 
of the people who are looking for support in the sense that they don't just need to rely on the limited workforce that have qualifications. There's more people out there that can support them and help them achieve other things. And there's plenty of room for both. There's plenty of room for support workers with qualifications because we just, we don't have enough people. And there's room for people in the community who can provide companionship and non-medical services. It's a huge industry. We need a million support workers in aged care alone by 2050. Yeah. In aged care and disability, we need 140,000 support workers every year. And I think what we realize we are also helping the industry with is bringing in people in the industry. So we're saying, hey, okay, you don't have qualifications, but would you like to hang out with someone and be a big brother or a big sister for someone? And in the process, a lot of people who start doing this type of work they go, hey, this would be an amazing career opportunity. It's like, great. Would you like us to find a provider who can provide that training so you can yeah. get your cert three or your cert four? Yeah. And so often what we end up doing is helping people, like it's a career pathway. They yeah. get they, they, they get work experience with us. Then they, they start doing some their certificates in disability. And then we can, use, you know, we have partners in the space that we can refer them to uh, once they've graduated. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, I just wanted to make that clear as well. Yeah, like, no, I appreciate that. Because uh, I, I think a lot of people, um, especially qualified support workers, would think, oh, you know, it's, just because I have qualifications, I can, I can do the social stuff as well. Yeah. You certainly can. Yeah. But it's not about, I think it's more about, like, giving people the best possible matches um, and giving them that choice and control. Yeah. And and like you said before, it's it's collaborative. It's you know, you know what what do you need? Um, how can we how can we help you achieve your goals? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, if I when I think about you know the the work that I do, there's there's often you know misconceptions and preconceived ideas about working in aged care or with people with disabilities. Um, and I guess that's one of the the main goals of of having these conversations is to try and I don't like to say educate because I think sometimes that can sound a little bit condescending, but to, you know, to open people's eyes to a world outside of their own bubble. Um, what are, what are some of the misconceptions that you've come up against or across um, working and like setting up like family and growing the business? Um. I might have to ask, like, uh, sorry, Emma, so in terms of misconceptions. That's okay. Um, in terms of, like, just general misconceptions? Yeah, well, uh, you know, how it is to work with someone that might have a, an intellectual or physical disability ah, um, yeah. about what the work entails because I think for Got people it. that have never worked in, the, in that field, it's like I can't do that because X, Y, Z. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Where do I start? <laughs> oh, okay. The rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, that is a really good one. Um, wow. Uh, look, first, first of all, I think I'm amazed by how many people um, don't actually understand the different like different disabilities and i think that this 
you know, since what happened to my parents and like, and then the like family process, I guess I don't want to say I was, I was definitely not lucky because my, my uncle also suffered from, um, or lived with schizophrenia. So I guess like I had seen, um, I had lived with uh, family members with disabilities and, uh, but, but starting like family, you, you know, for example, I learned so much about autism, which, which I wasn't familiar with before. Um, cerebral palsy. I was not familiar with cerebral palsy before. And there's, you know, the, um, the severity of cerebral palsy, it goes from, you know, there's, there's four sort of types, right. And, yeah. uh, correct me if I'm, uh, I'm not using the right terms, but I, I, I just remember doing, we did a, with a chat learn change, which is an event we did to educate our community. So what we would do is, um, for example, we'd have our members with a particular disability come and present and, and, and educate the audience. And that was really insightful. And, uh, and it was amazing because one of the, just to give you a, a really great example around misconception is uh, there's one of our members, and I'm, I won't name his name, but um, he's 28 years old. Uh, he has cerebral palsy, and he's in a he's in a wheelchair, and um, he has difficulty moving his arms and legs um, and his head. So he's got difficulty, you know, moving his body, um, and but but his brain is is uh, completely fine, and so one of the things was that he was saying on stage with the help of his, of his mom on stage is that he really hates it when support workers come to his house and treat him like a baby. And they'll, they'll lean down and talk to him like, hello, Emma, how are you, Emma? How are you today? You know, are you doing well? Yes. And then, you know, she'll, they'll ask them him questions and then look at his mom. It's like, and then you don't realize he's actually 28 year old man. Like, do you know how, you know, annoyed you would be if someone talked to you like that. Yeah. Um, but just because of the appearance, um, people talked down to him. Yeah. And he, it was, it was actually quite refreshing and funny because on stage, uh, his mom translated that he was, he would. So basically, when someone would talk to him down like that, he'd look at his mom and say, "Mom, can you tell them to fuck off?" <laughs> You probably know who you're talking about. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought that was, everyone laughed. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. just, that was so refreshing. And it's yeah. just, yeah, misconceptions like that happen all the time. And even, you know, you know, the other thing, Emma, that's really kind of tough now is that I notice everywhere I go, uh, I notice it. Um, you know when you're like look you're shopping for something uh and then all of a sudden wherever you go you see that thing that you're shopping for i don't know like or you yeah. That yeah. Thing thinking of yeah don't think of a pink car <laughs> <laughs> there's pink cars everywhere <laughs> yeah exactly and like i'll be on on a i was on a train once and there was this young man who was um uh yeah just uh making you know, loud noises and moving back and forth. Right. And, uh, people around him, there was people around him that were scared and they yeah. went to sit somewhere else, someone else, somewhere else. Um, just out of fear. Cause they were, he was just making a lot of noise and rocking back and forth. Um, I guess 
yeah, I've, I've seen so many of, you know, our community members with similar abilities that I knew that, you know, there was nothing to be afraid of. Uh, the young man is just um, either expressing himself. And, and then I, I, I kind of looked over to see, and he was actually like, he had his phone out and he was watching a funny YouTube. So it was just kind of his yeah. way. He was just expressing his, himself. Yeah. Um, and there's another example around misconception where you're, you're with groups of friends, uh, you know, people who've been your, your, your friends for a long time and they'll, you know, um, you'll be out and then they'll make comments and you, and you, and you, all I can think of is that's really insensitive or, you know, uh, yeah. actually, you know, it's, I just, you know, sometimes you feel like you don't want to, yeah, you, you, you actually, it's, it's all about ed- educating. Um, yeah. And, yeah, actually, my friends appreciate it. Like when we when we're out and they make comments that I think are um, inaccurate or insensitive, they actually really appreciate it that I um, explain to them, you know, why maybe a person's behaving this way and yeah. what their disability is. So I, it's it's pretty great actually to to know all this information. It changes your perspective, and it's so rewarding. Like talk to anyone who's done this type of you know social work or support work. Uh, it's it's so rewarding and you just what you learn about other people is what makes it rewarding um and i think i guess like for me the young man one of the young men that i supported who had autism nonverbal, and the i gave the example of the young man i played soccer with seeing him achieve really small goals every week like they're not big goals they're small goals like so just as an example I would play soccer and the the way we would do it is um, he would follow me. So it, we call it shadowing. And so I play and then I, whenever I get the ball, I give him the ball and then he, he'll shatter me. So we'll run together and all the other players give him some space so he can, you know, maneuver with the ball. And uh, yeah, when we started, he would be scared of the ball. Um, so he wouldn't want to touch it. And then, you know, it took maybe three weeks for him to get comfortable, then starts dribbling with the ball. And, uh, I, you know, fast forward six months towards the end of the season, um, he had, he was scoring goals, uh, and he was running at full speed with the ball. And that's what made the parents. So like his mom, like, I just remember her expression because she would, she stopped coming to the games because the sport, like it was always the same thing. And she was coming towards the games at the end because she just couldn't believe that he was actually running, dribbling with the ball and score and sh- shooting yeah, it. In the net. So cool. And so that was just like, wow. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I was really proud of that moment. Yeah. Yeah. It is amazing. I know like I've been running classes and my kids have come to some, like in school holidays, they've come to class when they were little. Um, and I know now that you know if we're out and there's you know there's someone with a support worker or they're with their friends and like you were saying their friends might make a comment because they don't know any different um and my girls will now you know educate them and say well have you thought that maybe this is happening or this is happening and we'll see um class members out at the shops and my girls will be like mom mom there's so and so let's go and say hello and it's that yeah that kind of bridging the gap and, and educating um and like you were saying before about the small girls we 
the classes that we've been doing via Zoom, um, I would, when I started, we were doing a freestyle track and we'd put the camera on various members of the group. And the first couple of weeks, the camera would go onto them, the spotlight would go on them and they'd kind of freeze and not do anything. And over the course of the last three months, they're busting out the most unbelievable moves um, and just building up that confidence every week and that that belief in themselves and that, that knowing that they're safe and comfortable to express themselves as well. Yeah, that's really, that's great. And there's so many examples of that, right? It just, it's, it's actually easier than people think. I think people just get scared of the challenge. Um, they think that someone, because they can't do it now, they'll never be able to do it. Yeah. Um, and, and I, not to say it's easy, but I think it's easier than people think. Yeah. And yeah, we, it goes all the way back to human connection, like giving the opportunity for people to be in a comfortable space and to just test and see if, you know, if you're, if you have got social anxiety, it's like, Oh, okay. They're giving me the, the, the space to be, uh, not to be judged. And, and I can, I can say things and do things without, uh, you know, consequences and people are going to be supportive. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's why those those members are yeah blossoming. Yeah. Um, anything that we haven't touched on that you would like to make sure that we talk about or that we cover? Well, we've talked about a lot. <laughs> um, it's just such a yeah. I'm I'm just happy we got to talk about that because it's such a powerful yeah. It just reminds me of why we do what we do and yeah. Yeah, um, wouldn't trade it for you know any any money in the world. I think um, I honestly I would love like I definitely want you know in the future uh, my kids to be doing this type of work and they're you know when they're eighteen as a first job. Yeah, it teaches so much empathy <clears throat> and like you were saying the um, insights and knowledge around disabilities i think it's really really important but yeah empathy patience um yeah i'm so proud of the that like the young people that are on, on our platform doing this work i'm just like wow whoever your parents were you you guys are amazing people like there's some 20 year olds that on our platform that are studying and they're just like uh i i I wasn't like that when I was 20. <laughs> I'm like, wow, how are you so mature? And, you know, some of them are moving on to be entrepreneurs and they have like really awesome ambitions around like social impact. I'm like, wow, I wish I started doing stuff like that when I was in my, in my 20s. Yeah. So yeah, I think like, I don't know, I, I think it's really important now we're getting out of, with COVID, more and more people are going to be looking for rewarding work. And I think that we should be trying and find, yeah, I think we should just, you know, spreading, you know, uh, podcasts like this one where people can uh, hear about the, what an impact it makes and in going, you know, because of COVID, I think a lot of people are going to be looking for, for more rewarding work. Um, whatever it, whether it's, you know, as a social care on the like family platform or, you know, as a, or with the Daisy chain uh, or, or with any other organization, I think there's, I think we should be trying and, uh, and get more people in the space. Um, 
there's uh yeah there's 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 enough room for everyone to be to be participating and we're we're moving towards more of an inclusive community which is good to see there's still a lot of you know i feel like there's still a lot to, to be done but yeah. um we're heading in the right direction um and i think it's really interesting uh that you know, I've been talking to a lot of organizations and people outside DNDIS, and I don't think there's a risk of the NDIS going anywhere. People actually from outside this space think the NDIS could disappear. I, I don't think that that's possible. We've done so much and it's yeah. a new, you know, something, a new scheme takes time to develop. It's, it's, it's creating positive results for people. Um, we just need to persevere and, yeah, I, I think our society is heading in the right direction. Um, yeah, I thought I would just start talking. Maybe a topic would come up, but uh, yeah. Really, we're just following your brain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When you start busting out the Nelly songs, are we going to worry? Uh, just like just 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 talking to you about all the the reward. The, your questions made me think about how awesome it is what we do. So yeah, uh, I'm kind of a bit distracted by. Um, it's kind of nostalgic to think yeah, about. Yeah, and I think when you do something like you do and like we do, sometimes you're, when you actually start talking about it and you think about your vision and your purpose and your mission, it's actually, it's a bit mind-blowing because it's like, whoa, like we've we've achieved so much but we've got so much that we want to do and, and so many things that we can yeah. do and implement and change and, and help people. And, um, yeah, sometimes I, I get a bit, I get a bit freaked out by my own my own goals <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, uh, something else that might surprise a lot of people is, you know, with the Daisy Chain and like family, we have a lot of members that are actually you know younger. Um, yeah. A lot of people think social isolation and loneliness is something that older people experience, but uh, you know what you do and what we do is is proof that it's not actually entirely true. Um, there's reports in psychology that have come out saying that the most isolated cohorts, age cohorts are 18 to 25. Um, so, and I think there's, there's a really bad, uh, I heard this this week around um, even suicide rates are uh, more common in, in younger people. Yeah. So I don't look, we can make assumptions around why um, that's the case. And I think a lot of hypotheses are around social media and the digital age, whether or not that that's true, it's hard to measure. But nevertheless, if there's a high suicide rate in younger people, we need to really understand why that is. Yeah. And back to this topic, human connection, there's yeah. a have something to do with that. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, uh, we need to look at ourselves as a society and, and think what we can do to reduce that rate because that's not normal. No. My daughter read to me the other day, she's 15, and she said to me, I don't know where she saw it, probably TikTok or somewhere, but it was, it was basically saying that um, kids in that kind of 16 to 25 category um, have as higher rates of anxiety as they did during the world wars and that kind of fear for their life and that not knowing what's going to happen and, and which that kind of blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's not normal. No. We, we've got to, yeah. And that's why I think 
and yeah, I think that's why I think this kind of work is is impactful. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a we have one social care who's um, who's an actor. We've got multiple actors actually on our platform, um, and the reason they I always ask them like, well, what made you think of doing this for work? And he's like, well, as an actor, you're always like, it's very sort of. Um, self it's you're always like it's always about you 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 and and what i like about this kind of work whether you know it's with the daisy trainer like family is that when i do work for others and i help them achieve their goals it makes me feel good and that's the um what's that chemical i think it's serotonin or yeah, yeah? serotonin yeah. isn't it yeah yeah got a few serotonin um a bit of oxytocin yeah oxytocin yeah yeah that's uh Yes, yeah, so I think there could be an imbalance maybe around some people, uh, younger people not getting enough of that. But I think, you know, I think this is a really good solution. You can see people who actually um, have better lives, but were not giving as good of an opportunity. Um, they were just unlucky. You know, some of our members are, that's that's how their parents describe it. It's just that they, they, they love their lives, but they were just unlucky and you know we're born with uh yeah. different ability yeah amazing thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it where can we find you obviously i'm going to put your your links in the um, show notes but if people want more information um website facebook insta yeah <laughs> all of you uh, website www.likefamily.com.au facebook like family au so with all the social media tags, we've got AU at the end. So Instagram, same thing, like family AU. And we are also on Twitter, a um, bit new to Twitter, but uh, uh, personally, I still don't understand it, <laughs> but uh, we are. <laughs> but a lot of people are using it. So are you on, are you on Snapchat? Uh, not yet, no. No, that scares me. <laughs> I feel like I'm too old for Snapchat. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I heard that that was for you. We're not on Snapchat or TikTok, but uh, I feel like you should be on TikTok, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, you should definitely be on TikTok. <laughs> I, I'm a bit scared. I'll get my daughter to do it. <laughs> it's all about TikTok's all about dancing. So Yeah, I know. Yeah, it is. Um, all right, so thank you so much. Um, it's been an amazing chat, really insightful, love everything that like family is doing and excited to work with you guys. So thank you again for your time. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for having me and uh, yeah, love your work as well. My name's Emma. I'm from the Daisy Chain and thank you so much for listening to the Daisy Chain podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, www.thedaisychain.com. You can also visit our Facebook or Instagram page.